Good evening to everyone not in a small group tonight, although I must say that I wish you were in a small group because they're good, they're powerful, and, and you know what, the body of Christ needs each other, I say this every time I'm up here, but I believe this, like there's something powerful that happens when you get with other people and you talk through what's going on in your life and people can encourage each other, I just think it's a good thing and I think it's one of the ways the Lord ministers to us, but I get the rest of you, so if you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, my message tonight is titled, Jesus is Willing, and we'll be talking about faith, and specifically I thought about changing the title of this to The Sweet Spot of Faith. So if you like that title better, you can write that one down. Either Jesus is willing or the sweet spot of faith. Either way, it'll work. We're going to Luke chapter 5. We're going to be reading from verses 12 through 16. I am reading from the NIV translation, so if it looks different than yours, that's why. Let's read it together. It says this, While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus... He fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Will you guys pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for Jesus, our Savior, our healer, our rescuer. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who is with us even now as we get into your word, to speak truth to us, to, to bring us into remembrance of everything that Jesus taught, to lead us in the way, the truth, and the life, to glorify everything that Jesus did. And I pray that as we get into your word, that you would give us eyes to see what you're doing, give us ears to hear what you're speaking to us, give us hearts that are receptive to your truth so that we can be transformed into the image of Christ. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, so here's what I want to do tonight, if you'll track with me. I want to give you three big ideas from these four verses that we read. And then in those three big ideas, I want to show you three keys to how we live as a people who belong to Jesus and in faith in Jesus. Hi, I see you over there. Teenagers, I love them. Anyways, I want to give you so three big ideas from these scriptures and then three keys that we learn from the Bible on how to live as people who belong to Jesus and we live in faith as people who belong to Jesus. Here's the first big idea that I, that I noticed as I read this scripture and it was the posture of those in need towards Jesus is humble confidence. That if we are in need and we belong to Jesus, our posture towards Jesus should be humble confidence. The leper comes and he humbles himself, putting his face to the ground and begging Jesus. In his humility, he acknowledges that Jesus is capable of doing what he asks and also that Jesus can choose whether or not to do this. The leper assumes that Jesus isn't obligated to heal him just because he asked him to. 
It's as if the leper acknowledges that Jesus is actually Lord and that he is not. That, that Jesus gets to decide. I think this is humility. Right? Because he, he comes to Jesus and he, and he drops down and he says, If you are willing, Jesus, your Lord, if you're willing. But the leper also has faith. The leper shows that he has great faith, in fact. He confidently declares that Jesus is absolutely capable of healing him. It's not just that he's like, maybe Jesus can do this. No, he acknowledges, no, I know that you can if you're willing to. You can do this for me. The leper knows that Jesus is the one that he needs. And here's the question, as I read this and I think about this, here's the question I have to ask myself and that I would encourage you to ask. Do you live that way? Do, do I live as if Jesus is the one that I need? Do I live as if Jesus is the answer to whatever it is that's going on in my life? Not just my physical needs, not just that if I'm sick and I need a healing, do I live as if Jesus is the answer to my pride? Do, do I live as if Jesus is the answer to my unforgiveness? Do I live as if Jesus is the solution to my problems? Why should I do that? Because he's Lord and I'm not. Right? Are we like the leper in the story, willing to humble ourselves and confess that we actually need Jesus to bring healing to us? Are we willing to confess that we can't get life right without Jesus' help? Are we willing to admit our brokenness to Jesus. Why is this so important that we come in humble confidence, knowing Jesus is fully capable, but knowing that, you know, he's, are you willing? Because in 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7, Peter writes to the believers and he says this, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I'm grateful that we serve a God who cares for us. I'm grateful that we serve a God who's willing to lift us up. But we can't miss our posture towards him. Our posture is humility. Let me put it to you this way. This is how I try to explain it to my son. And to, well, not just my son, my children. God's not a genie. You know, like in Aladdin. Like whenever I want something, need something, think God should do something for me, that I just get to go rub the lamp and God pops out and he's like, you get three wishes. No, that's not what God can be. God cannot be that. He can't be some magical genie that just bows down at, at my every wish and beck and call. Because then he would cease to be God and I would become God. Are you tracking with me? There's a humility in which we approach God knowing he's fully capable. And I'm not just making this up. I'm going to show you this. He's fully capable, but he's also Lord. I think the leper has it right. If you are willing, you can make me clean. How do we approach Jesus? What posture are we walking in? Are we walking in humility, looking to the Savior's help? Or am I walking in pride, trying to figure it out on my own? Here's why it's so important. When we don't walk in humility, we can fall into traps thinking we are doing the Lord's work. This is a terrifying scripture. You ready for this? John 16, verse 2. This is going to blow your mind. Just look at your neighbor and say, it's about to get rough. John 16, verse 2. 
Jesus is talking to his disciples, and check this out. He says, hey, they're going to put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are... Did you see that? They think they're doing something for God, and they're out there killing Jesus' disciples. This is why we need to approach the Lord with humility. We need to approach the Lord acknowledging your God and I am not. Why? Because if I come to him in pride, I might end up killing some people thinking I'm doing it for the Lord and I'm not. You tracking with humility in how we approach God. That's big idea number two. Here's big idea number, or that was big idea number one. Here's big idea number two. This is the one that you'll all get excited about. Jesus is willing. I love this part. It's so good. Because, you, know, we, we, you know, we need to approach him in the right heart. That you're Lord and I'm not. And you know infinitely more than I ever could. And so I need to just trust you and admit that you're Lord and not try to act like I am. But I also am grateful that Jesus is willing to do the work. In verse 13, it says that Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. And I'm going to tell you why that's so amazing in a little bit. But he reached out and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Imagine the joy of hearing Jesus say this over your situation. Whatever it is, whether it's a physical healing, whether it's a sin issue, whether it's just something the Lord's trying to work out of you, you know, pride, anger, unforgiveness, whatever. Imagine in humility coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, I know that you're the only answer I have. Help me. And hearing him say, yes, I will. Like, in fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just close your eyes. I don't want anybody looking around. And I actually want you to imagine what's the biggest source of pain source of fear, source of anxiety, source of struggle going on in your life right now. If you're watching via live stream, do this at home. Close your eyes. I want you to imagine what is the biggest struggle point in your life right now. And I want you to imagine seeing Jesus and running up to Jesus, absolutely desperate for a touch from God. You fall to your knees in front of him in front of him. You say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make a difference. You can change this. You can bring healing to this. Now, while you have it in your mind, I want you to imagine hearing Jesus say, Yeah, I've taken care of it. How much joy would come into your heart, into your mind if if that biggest struggle point, you bring it to the feet of Jesus in humble confidence and you hear him respond, I got you. I think that would make me pretty excited. And I think that that's the way that we should maybe expect it to happen. Yeah, we come in humble confidence, but we know we're coming to the Lord who's willing to help. Why? Because Luke's whole gospel is about Jesus is a rescuer. That's what the whole thing is about. I love that in this story, Jesus reaches out and he touches the man. Because according to Old Testament law, Jesus should not have touched him because that would have made him unclean also. Jesus should be unclean because he heals the man, but because it's Jesus who does it, the man is healed. Jesus 
in this one moment when he reaches, Frank, I'm going to use you as an example here, buddy. I just want to show you this. The man had leprosy. According to Old Testament law, if you had a defiling skin disease, if you, if you want to nerd out on it, you can go read Leviticus. There's two whole chapters dedicated to this. Here's what would happen. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. You can go look it up yourself. If they had leprosy, they would have to go to the priest. The priest would examine them. And if the priest goes, yeah, this dude's got a skin issue going on. Here's what would happen. They would have to be exiled out of the community. They'd have to go out of the town. They would have to let their hair be unkept. They'd have to wear a mask. They literally, it literally says cover the lower part of your face. Isn't that phenomenal? I know everybody's like, that makes sense. They'd have to tear their clothes. And anytime somebody would come around them, they would have to yell out, unclean, unclean. Could you imagine your issue causing that kind of isolation and shame? And then anyone who comes into contact, this is why they had to yell out, unclean. This is why everything about their appearance had to let you know, I can't go anywhere near that person because if I touch them, I become like them. Are you tracking with me? And when Jesus looks at the man, and the man falls at his feet and says, if you're willing, you can do this for me. Jesus doesn't just speak to him. Jesus joins him. Are you, are you hearing me? Jesus, in this moment of time, identifies himself completely with the man who needs a healing. Let's go to Isaiah 53. Why is this important? It's important to me to know that God is such a good God that he doesn't just look at us in our suffering and in our pain and from a distance send help through a messenger or speak a word to come to us. We serve a God who loves us so much that in our suffering and our pain, he comes and joins us in it. He identifies with us. He lets us know I'm experiencing this with you. You are never alone. Whatever pain you're feeling, I'm right here with you experiencing it with you. Isaiah 53, we're going to read the whole chapter because it's that good. It says, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Have you ever felt like you're not the best looking person in the bunch? Or that you're the worst looking? Jesus knows what's that, what that's like. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. This is talking about our Savior. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was 
was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And the Lord, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin... He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. And was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. When Jesus tells the man, I am willing, he says, I'm willing to fully enter into your experience. I'm not just watching you from a distance, I'm not just looking on your pain with pity, I'm joining with you in compassion. I'm the good friend that sits with you in your suffering. And what's even better is that Jesus doesn't just join him in that place of suffering. Jesus restores him out of it. That's why he's the Savior, right? Because he didn't just come join us in our suffering. He's the one who's capable of bringing us out of it, of bringing healing, of bringing restoration. When Jesus says, I am willing, he's saying to every one of us, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter the darkness, the pain, the suffering, the sorrow, Jesus says, I'm going to enter into it with you so that I can bring you out of it. I like to think of it like this. Jesus came to set us free, and if we'd all imagine ourselves being trapped in a prison cell, Jesus came and opened the door, and we just weren't intelligent enough to walk out the open door, so he got in the cell with us and dragged us out. You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever felt like Jesus is just dragging you down the next place from glory to glory? You're not walking there like you should be. He's just, come on, boy, let's go. I feel like that sometimes. I want you to know that Jesus wants to do the same thing for you that he did for this man with leprosy. He wants to get involved in your story. He wants you to know that he's actually already there and he's not standing at a distance just telling you to be healed. He's joining, literally joining himself in your condition to bring you out of it. That's what Isaiah 53 is all about. He took our suffering. He took our pain. He took it all. Why? So that by his stripes we could be healed. So that he could be the one that makes intercession for our iniquity and our transgressions. Jesus is so good. So here's what we need to ask ourselves. How should we live knowing we follow a willing Savior like this? What does faith look like for me? If I know that I belong to Jesus, what should my life look like? What should a life of faith look like maybe in the midst of suffering, trial, persecution, whatever the case may be? What should my life look like? I submit that we should take on the confidence, faith, and humility of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. Would you turn there with me? Getting a little bit of a finger work out here. 
flipping through our Bibles, it's good. I'm not going to read all of Daniel chapter 3 because I think most of us are familiar with it. Uh, it's the passage in Daniel where King Nebuchadnezzar is setting up a giant golden image because he thinks he's hot stuff, you know. And he tells the whole nation, hey, when you hear music play, you better bow down and worship this image of me. Like, bow down and worship it. And there are three dudes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who know that they belong to the Lord God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And so they say, yeah, we can't do that. Why? Because our God told us we only allowed to worship him. So we can't bow down and worship this thing. And the king, he actually likes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're cool dudes. They've really helped his kingdom out a lot. And so he goes to him, and he's super angry that they're not obeying him, you know, because he's the king. And he goes, hey, you know what, boys? Here's the deal. I'm going to give you one more try. We're going to play the music again. And, you know, I get it. You belong to another god or whatever. But I'm going to kill you if you don't do what I asked you to. So either bow down and worship the image or die. That's your choice. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, I love this so much. This is like just, this is good stuff. Here's their response. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand, but even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your God or worship the image of gold you have set up. That's a boss move right there. I mean, they literally, they're looking at this king who has the power to kill them. And they say, here's the deal, man. We know that our God is able. Does that sound at all like the leprous man? We know that he will. Ooh. Now we got some confidence of some people who know who they belong to. We know that he's able. We know that he will. But even if he doesn't, he's the one we're going with anyways. Are you tracking with me? Even if he doesn't, I'm not bowing down to this thing. Why? Because I know who I belong to. Here's three keys to the sweet spot of faith. I think we have to hold all three together to really have a vibrant walk with the Lord. The three keys are this. We live with confidence that God is able to do the impossible. The leprous man came and said, hey, if you're willing, I know you can do this. I know that God is able to do the miracle in my life. And because I know I belong to him, I know that he will do it. You, here, let me say it to you this way. If you don't think God is able to meet your need, why are you following him? He ain't a very good God if he doesn't have the ability, the capability to meet your need. I, I submit to you, he's not a God worth following if he isn't able. I also submit the following, that if you belong to that God and you don't believe he will do it for you, I submit he's not a God worth following. Why would you follow a God that you're like, I know he's completely capable of doing it. I just don't think he's going to do it for me. Pick a new God, man. That's a terrible way to live. 
And that's not what we see presented to us in Scripture. What we see presented to us in Scripture is those who know they belong to God, know He's capable and know that He will. But we also see the third key, that we live knowing that God is still worth following even if He doesn't. Why? Because He's Lord and I'm not. Right? He's the one that sees the end from the beginning. He's the one that knows everything, and I don't know much at all. So I trust in his wisdom, and I trust that God actually wants what's best for me, and so I trust in his timing and in his way. Why? Because he's God, and I'm not, and he's not a genie in a lamp that I get to just call whenever I want him. He's Lord. And so in humble confidence, I approach him knowing that he's able, knowing that he will, but even if he doesn't, there's nowhere else for me to go. It's Jesus or nothing. And I think that we have to carry all three of these in balance. Let me give you a simple example of why these three things are important. When my parents told me that they were going to move me to Ohio, I had one response. Dear God, please no. And I prayed that prayer for many years after being here, too, that God would somehow just lap time backwards and just put me right back in the good state of Tennessee, you know, God's country. And I just was super angry, didn't understand it, because I was super involved in my church. I felt called into youth ministry at my church at 12 years old, and I just for the life of me could not understand why my parents would have the crazy idea to move me to Ohio where it snows. And so I prayed like crazy, God, if there's any way, God, make this not happen. But God in his wisdom said, no, man, look, if you're going to be who I created you to be, this is where you got to go. So just trust me. And now I can look back and go, well, I know exactly why God moved me. It's weird how being able to look backwards, you can see how God was doing what he was doing when even in the moment you were like, what is he doing? Because he knows more than I do, and he can see the end from the beginning. Are you tracking with me? So I know that he's able, I know that he will, but even if he doesn't, he's still the one I'm going with. There's nowhere else for me. That's the sweet spot of faith. Why? Because he's Lord, and I'm not. If you are in Christ, if you have confessed that Jesus is Lord and have surrendered yourself to him, then you belong to him. I can't stress that. You belong to him. You're his special possession. And this is how those who belong to Christ should live each day. We live with confidence that God is able to do the impossible. We have faith that God will do the impossible, and I will still follow even when he doesn't do it the way I think he should. We follow even when he doesn't do the impossible because we are humble enough to acknowledge that we aren't God and we don't always know what's best or see the big picture of everything that's happening. Big idea number three. You guys doing all right? Is this okay? I know that's a trick question because nobody's going to say no like in the middle of the service, but I hope it's helping you. It's encouraging me. Big idea number three that I get out of Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, is that when Jesus heals us, he restores us back into community. Another way I could say is this. Your healing is never just about you. It's intended to ripple out into others. 
In verse 14 of Luke chapter 5, we read this. Jesus ordered him, hey, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So I'm going to assume, you know, you're not a bunch of Old Testament nerds. And I'm going to assume again that you probably haven't super studied the book of Leviticus. We're not going to read all of it. But I do want to focus on this. In Leviticus chapter 14, again, these are the chapters talking about the defiling skin diseases. In Leviticus 14, verse 7, we read this. Seven times he shall sprinkle the one be cleansed of their defiling disease and then pronounce them clean. I know it's out of context, so let me help you out. Jesus sent the leper to the priest so that he can go through the process set forth by God in the Old Testament to be declared clean. The priest, he just gets to authenticate that God has healed someone and that they can now rejoin the community. I think this is actually a really cool connection. Nowhere in Leviticus does it give the priest how to do a healing. It's not what happens. What the priest is given is, here's how you can identify if they need to be declared unclean, and here's how you can identify if they can be declared clean. They don't get any instruction for how to do the actual healing. Why? It's implied that God is the one that does the healing. So now we go to Luke chapter 5. I just, maybe this isn't as cool to you as it is to me, but you go to Luke chapter 5, Jesus does the healing, and then what's the first thing he says do? Go to the priest. Why? Because God showed up. God showed up, and now you need to go to the priest because the priest is the one who can authenticate that God did a miracle. And then when this man goes around and starts saying, I'm back, I'm clean, they're going to go, how did this happen? And what's he going to say? God healed me, and his name is Jesus. Isn't that cool? I just, man, I... This means that when God shows up in our lives and he does a miracle, it's implied that God's the only one that can do the miracle. But we're, our job is to go and let the people know God showed up. And guess what? His name is Jesus. And here's what happened. I came to Jesus. I saw him. And I came and I threw myself at his feet. And I said, Jesus, I know that you're able. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And you know what he said to me? He said, I am willing. And he touched me. And he made me clean. And you go to the priest, and the priest does his inspection. It's actually quite the process. It's like an eight-day process, which I think is why the guy skipped it. He like ignored, he got his healing and completely ignored what Jesus said and just started going telling everybody. Because he's like, I can't wait eight days, man. I got to go tell people. And he's, why? Because he's been in ex exile, man. Now he's able to go back to his, maybe his wife. Maybe he's able to go back to his kids. Maybe he's able to go back to his, his parents, his aunts and his uncles. Now he's able to go re-engage with his friends. Why? Because Jesus showed up and changed everything. When Jesus brings healing into our lives, whatever that looks like, it's not just intended to be a restoration for you. It's intended to be a restoration into community. Why? Because we're the body. We're the body of Christ. And we'd be severely hampered if our thumb was missing. 
And so when Jesus heals the thumb, he intends to put it back with, you know what I'm saying? Like we need to be together. Jesus wants to do more than just answer that one problem, that one struggle, that one trial, that one hardship, that one difficulty, that one fear. Jesus wants to heal that in your life. He's willing to do so. He's capable of doing it. He will do it. And then he wants you to take that word and just spread it like wildfire. Why? Because what he did for me, he'll do for you. Because I was nothing special, but he thought I was. That's why Peter's like, you're all God's special possessions. Man, if I could tell you anything about faith that, that, that you would just carry with you from this moment forward, I think it would be this. That faith really, I, I believe this, faith is really birthed out of a belonging when I know whose I am, when I know where I belong, oh, I can have faith for all sorts of stuff. But if I forget who I belong to, if I forget that I belong to the one who is able, who will, and even if he doesn't, he's still completely worth following because he is God, he's the only one. Like if I forget that, I think faith is going to die. But if I can hold those three keys in tension, he is able to. He will. Why? Because I belong to him. I'm his. And he loves me dearly. Right? That song we sang at the beginning of worship, I will build my life on your love. It is a sure foundation. Man, God loves you so much, church. If you just remember who you belong to, I'm telling you, Jesus is declaring over each and every one of you, I am willing when we approach him in humility and say, I don't know how to fix this on my own. I'm incapable of fixing this on my own. I need you, Jesus. He's ready to respond. Why? Because he opposes the proud, but he lifts up the humble. So cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. He's a good father. Let's all live in faith. Let's all live in belonging that says, God has got me because I'm his. I want you to know that God's got something good in store for you. Jesus has something good in store for you. He's willing and he's ready to respond to humility and faith. As we close, I want to just leave you with these questions. So just think about for just a minute. Are we willing to admit our need for Jesus? I know that sometimes things happen in my life, a financial, you know, something, something happens, and I'm like, how are we going to pay for this? You know, my first thought, how are we going to pay for this? Instead of my first thought being, oh, I belong to Jesus. He's got me covered, you know? Like, are we willing to admit our need for Jesus? Are we willing to humble ourselves and admit that Jesus is the only answer for us? Are we willing to allow Jesus to heal us so that we can be restored, not just in ourselves, but to our community, that the glory of Jesus might be magnified through our lives as we tell others about the goodness of the God who is willing to rescue? Would you pray with me? Father, you are so good. We could preach unlimited sermons on your goodness 
on your faithfulness, on your grace, on your mercy, on your unending love for us. There is no end to how infinitely great and good you are. Father, I pray that as a people, those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus, those of us who acknowledge through faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is the hope, that Jesus is the one who joins with us and who heals us and who made intercession for us, who, who laid his body down to pay the penalty for our sins, the, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, that we would surrender our lives to such a great Savior. I pray that as we do that, we would live, God, confident that you are completely capable, that you are completely willing, that you will do it. But Father, we would follow you regardless because we trust in your goodness. Father, help us to do this every day of our lives, to be confident that we belong to you. I thank you for it. If you're here tonight and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never confessed your need for him, I want you to know that all of us, every single one of us, Isaiah 53 says this, that we're all like sheep who've wandered away, each of us to our own way. And that the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. That if we will come back to Jesus, that if we'll just confess that he's Lord, that he can forgive us, if we'll put our trust in him, that you can be rescued, that you can be forgiven of your sins, that you can find new life in Jesus, that you can belong to this good Savior. If you're here tonight and you've never confessed your faith in Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to him, but you want to do that tonight, if you would, just raise your hand real quick. I want to pray with you. Just raise it real quick for me. I won't wait long. That's good. That's good. That's good. Praise God. I don't see any hands, I don't think. If you are raising your hand, raise it up real high real quick. Okay. Very good. I see those hands. All right, here's what we're going to do. I want everybody, we had a couple of hands go up, so I just want everybody to pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe in Jesus, that he died for my sins, and that through faith in him, I can find forgiveness and new life, and I want that today. Today and every day, I'm following Jesus. Amen. Amen. As we dismiss tonight, if you're one of those people that raised your hand, I would love to meet you and to just encourage you in your new faith. So I'm going to be standing right down here, and I think, is there any of the altar team here tonight? You're, you're, uh, they'll be here too. If you want prayer, we'd love to pray with you. We'll have the altar team down here. Other than that, church, we love you so much. Go home and encourage somebody. Bless them. High five them. Give them $50. You know, that'll bless somebody, I promise. Uh, but be a blessing the rest of this week, and we'll see you Sunday morning, all right?